Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The red hot reaction to President Biden's decision to cancel a portion of student debt raises really important questions about responsibility, about federal spending, and about economic growth, among other issues. So, how should we think of this kind of initiative? And how does it compare to other examples of government forgiving debt? We're going to discuss today with two great guests and with you. That's next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, thanks for tuning in. So over the past week, if you're like me, your social media feed has been filled with people losing their minds about the idea that President Joe Biden has decided to cancel a portion of student debt for millions of Americans. And my favorite complaint goes something like this. Somebody will talk about all the sacrifices they made or their parents made to make sure that they got through college. And then they'll ask, why should anyone else get more? Why should anyone else get help with what I didn't get help for? It's a really remarkable way of thinking about not just college and its importance, but about opportunity generally and about generational responsibility. Imagine for a second if the generation that fought the Civil War thought the same way. Why go to war to sacrifice for future generations? What if the civil rights generation thought that way in the 1960s? Why sit in at a lunch counter and risk physical injury or death so that other people might have something better? It's a real commentary, I think, on where we are as a society. But specifically, there's something about this idea of debt and forgiveness that a lot of people just have a hard time with. They can't see the value in sacrificing for other folks. Debt is power in our society as well. It's power over people. And I think there is a visceral reaction to the idea of relinquishing that power by a lot of institutions and individuals. But let's think about what is actually happening here. President Biden said he's going to cancel up to $20,000 of student loan debt, which would wipe out debt completely for 20 million people, almost half the number of students who took out loans to pay for college. 
that's a huge economic growth incentive. That is something that will change the lives of so many people. And that money goes back into our economy. It goes into new houses. It goes into cars. It goes into all the things that people will buy with that money rather than paying it back to lenders. Now, as I said, a lot of people think that's unfair. They think it's something that could unnecessarily cause prices to rise. College tuition, which is already out of control. And still more people think the plan doesn't really solve the problem because it doesn't put pressure on the lenders who gave this money or the colleges who asked for it. We want to talk today about what President Biden said, what he's doing, what effect it will have on our economy, and how we think about this kind of policy. Why do so many people have a problem with this kind of debt forgiveness when debt forgiveness is pretty common in America. The government does it all the time. That's where we begin the conversation. A little later in the hour, we're going to talk with someone who is dead set against Biden's plan, says it won't work, says it's bad policy. But before we get there, we want to talk about uh, this debt cancellation issue and why it offers an opportunity to peer into a unique window. It opens us up to a different world of possibilities, one where debtors, this time ordinary people, not corporations, are prioritized over creditors. It's a world where those who are struggling are prioritized over the wealthy. To talk about all that, we have Zachary Carter here with us. He is a consultant with the Hewlett Foundation's Economy and Society Initiative, which is looking beyond neoliberalism for our economic answers. He's also the author of The Price of Peace, a book on John Maynard Keynes. Uh, Zach, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So, uh, as I said, corporations get bailouts all the time. Businesses got bailouts during the pandemic, uh, the PPP loans that were extended to businesses to help them get through. Lots of them are not going to pay that money back. You do not hear a lot of people complaining or wailing about that policy. Tell me what it is about canceling student debt that has people just apoplectic about this kind of policy. Well, I think even if you go beyond the sort of emergency rescue bailout operations from the financial crisis or from the COVID crisis, you know, the United States has, for a very, very long time, had a process for extinguishing excessive debt, and that process is called bankruptcy. And uh, in the 12 years before the pandemic, about 15 million people uh, used the bankruptcy process to shed debts that were unpayable for them. And how they got into this trouble, you know, sometimes it's through divorce, sometimes you lose a job, uh, sometimes people are just bad at managing money and spend very recklessly. Um, but we don't say in the United States that even the most reckless spendthrift uh, should be condemned financially to the rest, for the rest of their lives because of, you know, a, a few months or years of bad decisions. Uh, the bankruptcy process gives people a chance to wipe out their debts and start over with a reasonable chance of living a healthy financial life. Student debt has been excluded from that process. 
um, since 2005 in particular. It's always been difficult to get student debt discharged in bankruptcy, but especially since 2005. So as a result, uh, in the early 2000s, when the number of people enrolling in college really climbed significantly, about 35% in the first two years of this millennium, uh, we see a huge increase in the amount of student debt outstanding, the amount that has been taken on by people to borrow. And there's no mechanism for people to get rid of this debt if they've, they've gotten in over their heads. And so what Biden has done here uh, is provide a, a sort of safety valve for student debt. If you are way in over your head, uh, you have an opportunity to get this to get to get some relief the way borrowers for any other kind of debt have some kind of, of mechanism. Capitalism has always relied on debt relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you I'm, I, the 50 million figure I cited there is for consumer debt relief. I mean, more than 20,000 businesses a year file for bankruptcy. And, you know, sometimes business businesses file for bankruptcy because they just have a little too much debt. Sometimes they file for bankruptcy because they're really bad businesses and need to be fundamentally restructured. (laughs) The point is there's a process for this stuff. Now, if you want to critique Biden's plan and say, look, we should have a more rigorous, uh, you know, complex procedure for dealing with this. I think that's a reasonable argument, but it requires Congress to act. And Congress has basically refused to act. And in the meantime, we have this $1.75 trillion dagger hanging over the, uh, the economy. I think what's going on here is that debt has a kind of meaning for people independent, student debt in particular, has a kind of meaning for people independent of other forms of credit because a college education is such a marker of class status in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, when I say class status, it, makes it, it can make it sound like it's, it's, it's an illusion, but there's just a lot of things you cannot do in the United States without a college degree. And certainly since I was growing up in the 1980s and 1990s, Everybody in the school system, the public school system, at least in Northern Virginia, where I grew up, beats it into your head that you have to get a college degree. If you don't get a college degree, your, your opportunities in life are severely limited. And this is around the same time you know, when the student debt uh, balloon was starting to inflate. Uh, I think people are really upset about the idea of that process being democratized. Mm-hmm. There were more people coming into uh, the collegiate world in the early 21st century than had ever been in. I mean, the, the numbers increased about 35%. And because so many of those people were coming in with debt, there was a sort of hierarchy among college graduates. There are some people who graduate without debt and some people who graduate having to do a lot of work to pay off their education. There is a clear social hierarchy and a status differential between people who graduate from college with debt and people who graduate without it. And I think by extinguishing that debt, we're infuriating a lot of people who like that hierarchy and we're comfortable with it. Um, And I I think that is why you see so much outrage from people over economic claims that, frankly, just don't seem particularly significant to me. I mean, there have been economists, um, I think Jason Furman, uh, the former Council of Economic Advisors chair for President Barack Obama, has been the most prominent about this. you know, he, he talked about a half trillion dollar inflationary fire that we were pouring gasoline on uh, with this student debt relief program. But when you dug into the numbers, he's talking about 0.2 or 0.3 percent on the inflation numbers. These are numbers that are just extremely difficult to predict, uh, especially going out several years in an economy where, you know, you have all sorts of supply <laughs> shocks happening in China and Russia and Ukraine. Um, 0.2 to 0.3 percent is kind of 
in, it, it's pretty close to just the unpredictable noise territory of inflation prediction. Yeah. Um, and I think to, to use those metaphors, that, you know, pouring inflation, gasoline on a fire, I think it's very clear there's something very emotional about this that is uh, you know, not about the macroeconomic data. Yeah. So, so let's talk about when this kind of debt relief is offered, what is likely to happen to the, the, the money and the economy, right? So as I said in the open, if you don't have to pay a portion of your student debt or maybe all of it, that's money that gets diverted. And we do know from the way that our economy works that the kinds of people who are likely to have this kind of debt are likely to spend that money. Uh, they're not going to just save it or sit on it or, or even just in, in invest it in, in markets. Uh, they're likely to go and buy houses. They're likely to go and buy cars. They're likely to do things that will get the economy going uh, in, in its own way. Um, how, how do we know that that's the case, A? Uh, and B, does that justify the kind of debt relief that you're giving here uh, and compare it to the kind of debt relief, for instance, that I had talked about that businesses got after the pandemic? Uh, the, the, there seems to be an implication that the recipients here are unworthy uh, because they got themselves into trouble. But there also seems to be an implication that this won't make a difference, uh, that that somehow uh, this is not money that will end up back in the economy. Well, I think it's important to consider what kind of person a, a typical student debt borrower is. The, the way Biden's plan is designed, 90% of the money is going to people who make uh, $75,000 a year or less. Um, so we're talking about a benefit for mostly middle class people. Uh, about half of the overall money is going to people who live in the bottom half of the income distribution. So it's, if, if you want to critique this and say, you know, you could target money to the poorest people in the country, that's true. Uh, but, you know, of course, we subsidize the middle class all the time in the United States. The mortgage interest deduction is a, a subsidy for middle class families. Just about every national political campaign is premised on the idea that the candidate is going to subsidize middle-class families. Hmm. Uh, how much of this people actually spend, I think, is actually fairly hard to predict. And it's harder to predict with, uh, with debt relief than it is for a straight cash transfer. Because while, we're, while I mean, even, even the proponents of the plan will say that it's, uh, it's you know, somewhere between $300 billion and $500 billion are going to be extinguished. Um, so it really depends on, on how people, which people decide to take Biden up on this offer. Um, we, there, there is quite a bit of uncertainty there. Um, but we do know there, you know there are things like hard income caps. So people who make more than $125,000 a year are simply ineligible. Um, there are other kinds of back-end reforms to the way the plan is designed so that, uh, that exclude graduate debt from you know, MBA programs, medical school, law degrees, and the like. But this, we're, we're, targeting, uh, we're talking about, about middle-class people here. But it's not like that 300 to 500 billion just lands in everybody's lap on one day. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a few hundred dollars a month that is being eliminated from a monthly payment. Uh, interesting thing about the way the macroeconomic plans have gone here is there's, a, there's an organization called the Center for a Responsible Federal Budget um, that has been opposed to student debt relief for some time. A couple of years ago, um, 
during the, the during the pandemic when economic stimulus was all the rage, um, the Center for a Responsible Federal Budget was trying to pour cold water on the idea of student debt relief by saying it really won't do that much to the economy. It's an extremely inefficient way of stimulating the economy and of getting more money out there for people to spend and do all the things that you were just talking about because it's debt relief instead of just a straight cash transfer. The government's not really spending money here. They're just declining to collect it. So right. over time, it will, it will collect less money than it would have from these people. It's, it's sort of like a, a, a tax cut for people who have taken on student debt. Um, now that student debt uh, is being considered, uh, cancellation is being considered in an inflationary environment, um, the Center for Responsible Federal Budget is saying, no, 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 actually, this will be inflationary and terrible. Um, two years ago, this wasn't going to do much to juice the economy, so we shouldn't do it. Now it's going to do just way too much to juice the economy, so we shouldn't do it. Um, I, I just don't think that there are really plausible economic estimates right now that can give you a reliable path to what's going to happen in the economy because of this. I don't think the numbers we're talking about are very significant one way mm -hmm. or another. I think mostly we're just talking about easing burdens on some households. And the reason people are so worked up about this is because there is an intuitive sort of moral reaction that people have to relieving student debt. Uh, and depending on your understanding of who the ordinary college student is, I mean, I think that will color your moral reaction. 40% of college students are community college students. I think most of us think about student debt. We think about people going to Ivy League universities. I mean, those are like less than three-tenths of 1% of college <laughs> students. Yeah. The typical college student is somebody going to a community college, and about a third of community college enrollees end up taking on debt to graduate. And the typical average uh, community college debtor has about $13,000 in debt when they get out of school. More than a third of all student debtors don't even have a degree. So uh, it's to, to say that these are lucky duckies who are, are getting over somehow. Well off, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, it's very clear that there's a problem with the student debt finance, the, the education financing mechanism in the United States. It's not unusual for the for governments to pay for education. They've done that all over the world for centuries. Uh, and in the United States, you know, we we spend hundreds of billions of dollars a year on education. So three to five hundred billion dollars on, you know, some student debt just doesn't seem to me to be, uh, uh, you know, some sort of some sort of crisis. We're really talking about how this matters for the specific families involved. The macroeconomic claim, I, I just don't I don't think we have. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be any evidence that these are going to be significant, particularly yeah. compared to the types of events that we are now accustomed to seeing in our economy. You know, power grids failing in Texas, uh, an unexpected war in Ukraine, uh, cha changing the energy and food supply for the entire world, uh, COVID-19. I mean, these are the types of economic shocks that I think policymakers need to be worried about. Uh, you know, a few basis points from student debt inflation it just doesn't seem to me to be uh, really the kind of thing that should keep any people up at night. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with uh, Zachary Carter of the Hewlett Foundation's Economy and Society Initiative. Uh, we want to get uh, you guys involved, the listeners in this conversation. Call and tell us what you make of uh, the idea that uh, some people will not have to pay all of their student debt. How do you feel about the president doing this? Does this help you out? 
personally? Did you take out loans for yourself or your kids to pay for college? Uh, does this make life easier? Also, give us a sense if you're someone who is resentful of this idea that some people will not have to pay while others did. Uh, talk about why you think uh, people shouldn't get that benefit, uh, whether you think it's worth it, uh, whether you think it's too expensive uh, to be able to give people this kind of relief. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with a little more of Detroit Today. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking right now about all the ire that uh, we you can pick up on social media or regular media about President Joe Biden's decision last week to cancel a portion of student debt. This seems to have struck a nerve with an awful lot of people. Some who say they struggled through school, paid themselves, borrowed money, and then paid it back, and they don't see why the same people or the people now can't do the same thing. Uh, why should they get relief that wasn't offered to previous generations? Other people say this is not the way to give relief for people who have uh, student debt. It doesn't do very much to encourage colleges to stop the rising cost of higher ed. also doesn't really get after lenders who, in so many cases, uh, should not have lent money uh, at the rates that they, that they have um, and have been pretty predatory on uh, very young people who are trying to get a college education. Uh, we want to know what you think about this idea. Uh, are you in favor of student debt cancellation? Are you maybe a little skeptical of it. Uh, also, call and tell us about your experience with student debt. Did you borrow money to get a college education? And are you still paying that back? Are you still struggling to pay those loans even as you try to put the degree that you got to work? Uh, also, give us a call if you're someone who borrowed money and ultimately didn't get a degree. So many people are in that category. We're not able to finish even though uh, they they borrowed money in order to do so. Uh, what do you think of the idea of forgiving this debt? Uh, also, give us a sense of how you think this fits into debt relief more generally. Think of all the other instances in which the federal government helps people out with debts they incurred that they have decided they can't pay back. Businesses uh, are a great example of that, especially after the pandemic. The PPP loans that were extended, lots and lots of them, are unable to pay the money back. And the government says, hey, no big deal. Why is this different? Why is this striking such a chord with so many people 
when those other kinds of debt forgiveness don't. Our guest right now is Zachary D. Carter. He's a consultant with the Hewlett Foundation's Economy and Society Initiative. Uh, a little later, we are going to talk with Mark Goldwine, who is Senior Vice President and Senior Policy Director for the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. It's a Washington, D.C. nonprofit. Uh, Mark is pretty down on the idea of uh, the, the student debt cancellation, doesn't think uh, it's the right way to go about solving this issue. Uh, but again, we want to hear from you. What, what's your experience with this? What do you think should be done? And uh, especially I want to hear from folks who are maybe a little, a little angry uh, about, uh, about all of this, uh, this, this money that won't be paid back. Let's start today with Drew in Detroit. Drew, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, bring something into the conversation that I mean uh, that I think has been missing from a lot of what I've heard people talking about with the, the debt cancellation. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the need to rectify years of predatory mismanagement mm-hmm. um, on the part of loan servicing companies. So um, it's possible for people to enter into income-driven repayment plans for their student loans. But um, when those programs are rolled out in the mid-2000s, the loan servicing companies were encouraged to direct people away from people who are eligible to direct them away from that and into deferments that um, add to the interest on their loans and extend the life of their loans so that people end up paying much more than they otherwise would have. And um, like with uh, some of the public service loan forgiveness plans that um, people who are eligible for oftentimes weren't able to actually realize, um, it just points to this. Um, there's, there's this factor where people who were trying to do it right mm-hmm. um, and to play by the rules uh, got cheated for a long time. There's been lawsuits about this, and um, I don't think a lot of people are talking about this as something that almost is uh, a way of uh, addressing that wrong also. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dave, I, or, I'm sorry, Drew, I'm really glad you called and, and made those points. Um, uh, Zach, the, this question of the way in which lenders have behaved has come up a lot in the last week as as well. There are some provisions in this bill that attempt to to bring a little more accountability to that to that system. But really, that is kind of the uh, the the issue that looms behind all of this, which is that that right now there are people attending college who are borrowing money under the very same system that resulted in all the debt that we're about to forgive. Uh, we we do have to start thinking about well well how to stop feeding the monster I guess and and, and otherwise ten fifteen years from now we'll be in the same boat right yeah I think uh, when I talk about student debt I tend to focus on sort of the <laughs> the worst case scenario the least sympathetic borrower uh, to point out that you know we extinguish debts for people with not particularly sympathetic credit histories all the time through the bankruptcy process. But the fact of the matter is most, most students borrow that they have been through uh, a, pretty, a pretty rough go, uh, and the system doesn't work. Um, what Drew is talking about there uh, is a, a sort of public-private hybrid in uh, how student debt is collected and managed 
where the education department of the federal government working through private contractors like what used to be called Sally May, what is now called Navient, uh, have steered borrowers into situations that are not good for them mm-hmm. uh, and that are good for the processors or in some cases even good for the education department because it's part of the education department's budget. Uh, so there's some pretty clear uh, mismanagement that's gone on here uh, over the past decade, maybe two decades, depending on how you, you how far back you want to go. Um, but I, I think one, there are two ways to think about this. I mean, one is that there are going to be a lot of legal challenges to Biden's plan. We know that Republican attorneys general are already trying to file lawsuits. Um, and I think the existence of these plans, even though they've been badly uh, implemented and badly rolled out, uh, shows pretty clearly that the education department does have the legal authority mm-hmm. to manage student debt. It, it extinguishes student debt all the time under special circumstances. Um, it's not like this is some radical departure in principle from, what, from the powers that the federal government already has. Um, but the broader issue is that, you know, we don't want the system to function this way. We don't, we don't want colleges to charge as much for tuition as they do. And we don't want it to be so hard for borrowers who get their students who get in over their heads to get out of trouble. There should be broader reforms to the, to the, the higher education system in the United States. I agree with that completely. Uh, I think something even as simple as just a tuition cap. You know, if, if you're if you're going to receive federal funding from the United States government, you have to put a limit on what you can charge for tuition. Uh, you know, in in healthcare, there are uh, there are statistics about how much of uh, health insurance revenue insurance companies have to devote to actual claims payments. Yeah. Uh, how much hospitals have to spend on actual treatment, and how much can be can go away to to corporate profit. Um, you could do something like that for education as well. But regardless of how you structure it, I think that's I think that's a good idea. I just don't think it's a particularly compelling argument against providing relief to students who are in over their heads right now. Um, The fact that we could reform this system, if you can find 10 Republican votes in the Senate. uh, Great. I think that's a wonderful idea. Uh, But I don't see why, you know, 45 million families have to be you know, struggling to keep their heads above water while we wait for those Republicans to come around. Clearly, the president has and the executive branch has the legal authority to manage this uh, this stock of debt. They've been managing it for decades already. Um, this seems to me like a pretty reasonable way to manage it. Yeah. Uh, I want to read a couple social media comments that uh, we're getting about this. Uh, Dave on Twitter says, I remember going through high school looking forward to getting $4,000 for the Michigan Promise Scholarship, RIP, that uh, lasted from 2000 to 2006. He says, I graduated high school in 2007, and that promise was broken in 2006. Uh, Susie on Twitter says, I've been paying on my loans for 15 years and have less than 10000 left. This plan would help me where public, zone, public service loan forgiveness would not. Uh, working in an underpaid public service profession part-time for, while caring for my kids means uh, she's not eligible for that public service loan forgiveness. That's a really that's a really interesting nuance to that program. Uh, Dave on Twitter says I ended up dropping out of college with ten thousand dollars in student loans because I was afraid of not finding a job when I graduated, 
and getting stuck with a huge loan. Classmates were borrowing over $50,000. I paid it off and took trades classes instead, which led to immediate uh, immediate jobs. Carl on Twitter makes a really, really great point. He says that student debt is the only debt other than taxes that isn't dischargeable by bankruptcy. The debt is compounded. And for many, it's a noose around their necks till the grave, uh, <laughs> despite paying for years. It just grows and grows. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Hey. I just wanted to say that I was able to go to Wayne State for a bachelor's and master's degree and Michigan State for a Ph.D. that I did not complete, but I didn't have any debt for any of it. Hmm. And the country could do this if it wanted to. The issue, I think, also that's not being talked about is race and why are some people so poor Mm -hmm. and other people don't have to take out loans. And I want to remind the listeners that Mitch McConnell said during Obama's efforts at getting national health care or some sort of plan, he said, remember, this is reparations. And I really feel like there's a racial aspect to this that is not being discussed. Why are some people so poor? There hasn't been an increase in minimum wage in 20 years. And also people are profiled, given tickets, and have so many extra fines and expenses that other people do not have. Sure. So, so uh, mind us with that. Yeah. So, so the 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 racial angle is is important, and I think it plays a huge role in the resentment that we are seeing from some people. I mean, the 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 things that people are saying about responsibility, the things that people are saying about quote unquote pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and and wanting others to do there is absolutely a, a racial component to that and our guest Zachary Carter talked earlier about how the, the the face of higher ed has changed in this country over the last 20 or 30 years and you have a lot more diverse group of Americans pursuing higher ed, getting degrees, and moving up economically, that has a lot to do, again, with the resentment that, that, that higher ed now is a pathway and uh, for opportunity for more black and brown people, and that is some of uh, the backlash that we're seeing. Zachary, I'll, I'll give you a chance to respond to Elena as well. Yeah, the, the la- I think it's a really great observation, Elena. Um, you know, the last time we had this kind of influx of uh, of students into the higher education system, the, the type of influx that we've had in in the early 21st century was uh, in after World War II with the passage of the GI Bill, and suddenly because of the GI Bill, something that you know college before <laughs> before this, you know, this was the realm of uh, just a very very narrow circle of elites, uh, and suddenly it was open to infantrymen. So if you had served in the United States Army, uh, you could get the United States government to pay for your college education. Now, there's a huge asterisk on that program, which was that actual institutions of higher learning in the 1940s and 1950s, by and large, just simply did not admit black students. So black students were excluded from this. But there was still a huge freakout in the 1950s uh, in elite circles over the entrance of so many working class white people entering college education. And I think if you look at the demographics of people who have joined the ranks of higher ed in the 21st century, you're seeing more black and brown people this time around. And I think the, black, the backlash is a little stronger as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at the student debt statistics, 
the typical black borrower graduates with about twice as much student debt as the typical white borrower. I mean, literally double the burden. And, you know, it's not that hard to figure out why that's happening. Uh, You know, white students are more likely to have family wealth. They can they can fall back on to pay for college. Uh, The the, the racial wealth gap, you know, the measure of basically wealth that gets passed down between uh, between generations Mm -hmm. has been expanding in the 21st century. Uh, It it has not been improving. Uh, So, uh, yes, I think clearly there is uh, there is a racial component to the the anger and the intensity of the uh, of the backlash such as it is against this this program. But I also just think more broadly, um, people are unaware of how much the working situation in the United States, how much the labor market has become a credentialed system. Um, Even people who don't go to college get student debt. Mm-hmm. People who who you know perform really long-standing working class professions um, you know, need to get certificates and and attend night school and do all these things uh, in order to be qualified to you know repair air conditioners. Uh, mm-hmm. These are uh, this is a change that has happened in the last twenty five years, and I think people tend to underestimate how expensive that process is and. If you can extinguish debt for people in those situations, I think that's obviously uh, a useful thing to do for those families. One that it just doesn't, I just have not seen any plausible account that this is going to be a drag on the economy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Zachary Carter, it was really great to have you here for this, uh, for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. All right, thanks so much. All right, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, uh, we are going to continue this conversation, but we're going to hear from Mark Goldwine, who is the Senior Vice President and Senior Policy Director for the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Uh, He is not a fan of the student debt cancellation. We'll hear why. We'll also continue to hear from you on social media and on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking uh, about student debt and student debt cancellation. We've heard why President Biden's debt cancellation plan is good for Americans from Zachary Carter from the Hewlett Foundation. Now we want to hear a more skeptical perspective. Mark Goldwine is a senior vice president and senior policy director for the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, a Washington, D.C. nonprofit. He says this plan will cause inflation and is mostly helping already wealthy students. Like a lot of other folks, he believes this is a bad way to solve what uh, I think we all agree is a long-standing problem. Mark, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure if you were able to hear what Zachary Carter was saying about inflation and the worries about that. And 
what would happen with this money that won't go to lenders but instead will be spent in the rest of the economy. Tell me why you see those things differently, though, uh, why you think we should be worried about inflation and uh, why, the, 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 I guess, the transference of this money from lenders back into the economy is not worth, in, in your estimation, um, the, the, the cost here. Sure. So when we say lenders, what we really mean is the federal government. Right. The federal government is the is the lender. It's not it's not banks or anything like that. Uh, this would we've done some estimates, and we think that this policy that President Biden has proposed would increase the inflation rate by maybe a quarter percentage point. That's not massive relative to our seven percent inflation, but it's actually very large compared to what the president and even Congress has the power over. Mm. Um, it would maybe mean several more interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve, which could be the difference between a recession and not. Uh, There's a few ways this is inflationary. The first is if people aren't making these monthly payments into their debt, they're likely to spend it into the economy. The second is there's actually a very deep economic literature that when people's wealth goes up, if you know you're $10,000 or $20,000 richer because of this cancellation, people spend some of that money in advance. And then the third reason is that if the president does this by executive fiat, people are going to start expecting more cancellation. And that um, through some mechanisms we can talk about, it's actually going to drive up tuition prices. Hmm. So, so what do you say though to um, to the idea that we do this all the time with with debt in this country? Uh, the businesses that got PPP loans are a great example. A lot of them are unable because of the 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 continuing disruption of the pandemic. To pay that money back, there wasn't a, a hue and cry when the government decided, "Hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna require all these businesses to pay back." Talk about what you think is the distinction, I guess, between. Well, I, I think yeah, there's a misconception and a difference. The misconception is that the PPP program was loans that we then later forgive, forgave. That actually wasn't how PPP happened at all. PPP was designed specifically to give businesses money that they would never have to pay back during the depth of the pandemic. It was not designed perfectly. I had a lot of criticisms about the specifics, but it was never meant as a loan program where they went and forgave labor. It was supported by almost unanimously in Congress that we should give small businesses money to keep them open during the worst parts of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it was never really a loan. Um, Secondly, when you're talking about the inflation effective policy, the macroeconomic policy, it matters what's going on in the economy. When the economy is very weak, when unemployment is 15%, Doing more to support demand in the economy is good because we want people to spend more. We want people to improve economic growth. On the other hand, when unemployment is 3.5%, but the inflation rate is above 7%, that very same spending that would be good in a weak economy is only going to cause more overheating, lead to more inflation, and mean that people are going to be paying more at the gas pump, at the grocery store, uh, for furniture, at restaurants, you name it. So, so you're, I want to go back to the PPP issue. Um, there are people who are paying them back, so they were they were loans. And no, no, sir. I'm sorry. They they were designed as um, they were designed as a forgivable loan. But the idea was they were basically a grant, so long as you met a certain set of conditions, which were pretty narrow. Basically, it's how you spent the money. And so, people that are paying back a small portion of it, right. it's because they did not fully meet those conditions. They okay. were not a loan that was later. Later, we decided we will cancel it. We, were, we basically went to a business and said, um, you know, just to rent a business, here's $40,000. Mm-hmm. So long as you spend this $40,000 on 80% of it on payroll, um, you're not going to have to pay it back. If you don't 
abide by these sort of basic set of conditions, we're going to reduce that 40000 later by the amount you don't. And so you may pay a little back. But this was not a loan we gave that we later decided to cancel. Right. It was understood from the start this was a grant to businesses so long as you made, met these basic conditions that were in part meant to keep employment um, from, from falling even further. Right. So, okay, so then draw the distinction. I mean, I, I see what you're saying in terms of it being a loan or a grant, but it's government spending in order to boost uh, a private interest uh, that that has an economic uh, public economic benefit. Why is that different from from sending someone to college and saying, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna not, not gonna require you to pay all of this back because hey, getting a, getting a degree is uh, is moving you up the ladder and and putting money back in the economy." This isn't sending anyone to college. Um, we are canceling payment debt that people. Well, but it did send out. people to college, right? No. No, no. We are canceling debt. We we created a student debt program so that people could borrow mm-hmm. and be able to afford college. Um, there is a way we could send more people to college. It'd be by expanding Pell grants. We have that. We have grants for college. Mm-hmm. Um, these are payments to people that already went to college that already took out the debt. There's really sort of two sets of differences. The one I already went over is um, the state of the economy. When we were in the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, um, the federal government spent about six trillion dollars to support the economy. Mm-hmm. Some of that went to small businesses. Mm-hmm. A lot of it went to very generous unemployment benefits. We sent households um, also went to banks. $100 per person of, of checks. We sent $500 billion to states. We paused student loan payments for almost three years. Mm-hmm. So during the worst economic crisis, we were trying to put as much money into the economy as possible in every sector. Um, we, are not, we are now in an inflation crisis where we shouldn't be putting money in the economy. If anything, we should be taking money out of the economy like we did with the Inflation Reduction Act that's going to um, rightly increase taxes on higher earners and, mm-hmm. and large corporations and lower drug prices. This is the wrong macroeconomic policy. It's also not a policy to support college affordability. It's going to make college affordability worse. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We can include you that way. Let's go to Kyle in Ann Arbor. Kyle, you have a specific question for Mark. Go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering if you could speak to um, the boomers having so much of their wealth tied up in their homes and millennials and Gen Z inability to purchase homes because of the student debt. Hmm. I mean, if we don't relieve some of the student debt, are they not going to be able to cash out on that huge investment of their home? Yeah. Uh, great question, Kyle. Uh, Mark, what's the answer? You know, that, that's a great question. I, I have some good news for you, which is that over the last few years, we actually have seen um, millennials really catch up on, on home buying. But that same very argument that canceling student debt is going to get more people to buy homes is exactly why this is inflationary. Because if right now we have a housing cost crisis, housing costs are one of the drivers of our high inflation. And if we're trying to cram more people to buy homes without increasing the supply of homes, which is what we really need to do, that's going to lead to even more inflation. Hmm. Uh, Again, Kyle, thanks very much for the call and the question. Uh, Martha in Ortonville. Martha, go ahead. Yes. Um, the small paper in town here does a little question every week, and last week it was about this re- um, forgiving student loans. And one of the fellows answered, forgive the interest, but hmm. don't forgive the debt. Hmm. 
And the the government, why is the government in the business of making money on loans to citizens? Right. It's for, a, for any reason. That's a great that's a great question as well, Martha. Uh, Mark, talk about whether that's an interesting idea for giving the interest, which in in some of these cases is absolutely usury, um, uh, and the distinction between that and forgiving the debt. Well, I'm glad there's no thumb on the scale here. Um, we have been forgiving <laughs> interest for the last for the last three years. We haven't been charging any. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, um, you know, I agree with you. We shouldn't be. We sh- the government should be trying to make money. First of all. I know the federal government pretty well. They, they're very bad at making money, right? That's why I work in responsible budgeting. They shouldn't be trying to make money off the student loan program. Uh, the latest estimates, though, are that even before today's announcement, the federal government was losing about $300 billion to the student loan program. So um, we're already giving a pretty significant subsidy. With uh, last week's announcement, we're not going to be losing $800 billion. Um, I, I don't think that's sustainable either. We probably... If the government's going to be in the business of direct lending, which we have been for the last 12 years or so, um, we should be suing for roughly even, maybe roughly even plus subsidies. That's not what we're doing. We are giving very generous loan cancellation to a lot of folks, some who don't need it. So what do you say to someone like Courtney, who on Twitter says she had about $35,000 of loans in a four-year, for a four-year undergrad, she paid down for 10 years and still owes twenty eight grand? I I get that you're saying the government's not making money off of that, but she's paying and not getting rid of of the debt, which is because, what, the interest is too high. I mean, is interest forgiveness, uh, permanent interest forgiveness, something we ought to be thinking? about yeah so something that i really think we should be doing is fixing our income driven repayment program Mm -hmm. the biden administration has some ideas here that move in the right direction some that move in the wrong direction but um, the current income driven repayment program um, allows people to sort of cap their payments as a share of their income and then get forgiven after 20 after 20 years the problem is very few people are in it and when you are in it it seems like your balances are going way up, even though you're going to get them forgiven at the end. So we really need to overhaul that system because we don't want people to be crushed by debt. We want, we want a way out. But we also want to people to understand that if you're going to college, you're making an investment in your future and you're taking out a loan. And if you're able to, we want you to pay that back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark Goldwein of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. It was really great to have you here to give us uh, your side of uh, the issue here on student debt cancellation. Thanks so much for joining Detroit Thank today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about a new book on the wildlife of George Crockett Jr. And then talk about everything you need to know about one of my favorite events every year here in Detroit, Jazz Fest, coming up this weekend, Labor Day. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.